0: Um, This morning I'm going to be talking to you about friends, true friends, going to take a couple different avenues with it. Um, But before we get going in that, um, if you have your Bibles here, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And As we ease into 2021, um, one of the things that we've been talking about is we want to make this a year of action. You know, 2020 was just a bizarre year, different than anything most of us have ever encountered. And so we want to make 2021 different. We want to, you know, make it something special. Um, and that requires action. We've got to do things differently than we have before. So Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful to the promises. Verse 24, and this is the important part, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so right here, God's given you permission to provoke each other. Okay? Not to irritate each other. Okay? But to provoke each other to love and to do good works. And verse 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so the way that we're able to provoke one another to love and to good works is by not forsaking the assembling together. So as we're all sitting here this morning, and those of you online, welcome, is we're gathering together for that very reason, is to provoke one another. And if you have somebody that's a total stranger to you, that you know nothing of them, how much are they going to be able to provoke you? But if it's somebody that you have a good relationship with, you're a good friend of them, you spend a lot of time with them, are you gonna be more likely to take the prodding that they give you? And so that's what we need to do as a congregation, is we need to be in fellowship with each other so we get to know each other. So that we know and we can learn how we each act, how we can react to each other. And so in Hebrews 10 where it says about, you know, holding fast the confession of our hope, that we need to gather together to, st- to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So it's important when we gather together that it's not just about the gathering together. It's about interacting with each other to spend time getting to know each other. Is We don't want this just to be you come here, you worship, you do some of the songs, you listen to word, and then you bolt out of here. What we're encouraging and what we're going to actually give the opportunity at the end of the service here is the elders of the church are going to be up here. They're going to be around and so if you have any questions, first of all, on the changes, the transition that's going on, they're going to be available to answer your questions so you can get it directly from the source. So that's towards, obviously, the end of this, the session here. Um, if you have that First Amendment, put that up there, please. Um, you know, Most of you know that I um, like history, so when I have the opportunity to be up here, you'll get some history. Um, the Founding Fathers. A lot of them were very godly men, strong Christian in their faith. And the founding fathers saw the Christian church as such an important part of this country and maintaining our republic. And Benjamin Franklin is quoted as saying one time as they were leaving the Constitutional Convention is that somebody asked him, what form of government are you giving us? And he said, a republic if you can keep it. Okay, They gave us a great you know, constitution, the declaration, everything. But we have to work to be able to keep that, and so that's part of the you know that's what role the church has, is we're to be equipping people to understand where we came from, and also what we need to do to maintain our republic to keep it, as Ben Franklin said, and so in the First Amendment there a lot of people call it the Establishment Clause, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Okay. So what that's telling you is the founding fathers saw that the gathering of the church together was so important that they put it in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to protect our freedom to be able to do exactly what we're doing right now. Amen. Amen. Okay? Amen. Number one. So God tells us to gather together, right? Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the gathering together. And it also says in the Constitution we have a right to do it. And so we need to know our rights as citizens of this country and as citizens of the Kingdom of God. Okay? That's our more important citizenship, is the Kingdom of God. But we also need to know our rights here as citizens of this country. So why do we gather together? Okay. To worship, what else? To build one another up. So A lot of good reasons to gather together, right? But what I'm going to tell you is we need to be building each other up, we have to have building relationships, and we need to become friends. Okay? How many of you consider me a friend? Okay. How many of you know my name? Okay? My name is Rich, by the way, so we can get that clear. That's a starting point. Is it's easier to become a friend with somebody if you know their name. Okay? But beyond that, you have to go past that. Is If every Sunday you see me and you say, hi, Rich, and that's all we do is we pass, say hi, are we ever going to become truly friends? Okay? Are we ever truly going to know each other's weaknesses and the things that we can do to help each other? Okay? We need to go past the superficial is what I'm saying. We need to get into each other's lives, not to be prying, not to be you know, interfering with each other, but there's got to be a connection that takes us beyond just, we recognize your face, we know your name. It's got to be something deeper than that. And so what should happen as we gather together is we become more and more friends. We get to know each other, and so that we can band together, we can bond together as circumstances change. If things were, if we were in a different country, and we did not have the freedoms that we have right now, it would be good to know that you can trust each other. It would be good to know that you would have each other's backs if any you know, situations arose that you needed help. But if you don't have any relationship with each other, that's lacking. Yeah. So we have to build the friendships and you know, become more adept at looking out for each other. Um, those of you that live here in Pennsylvania, um, if you would, Trish, go ahead, or Mark, go ahead and put up that you've got a friend in Pennsylvania, how many of you still have this license plate? It's coming. There you go. That looks familiar to everybody? Okay. Some of the newer ones don't have them anymore, but you've got a friend in Pennsylvania. Um, it's a nice slogan, but again, what does it mean? Okay. Are you, just because you have it on your license plate, does that mean you're friendly? No. <laughs> I mean, we've seen lots of road rages with those license plates, right? Okay. So that's a starting point with you've got a friend in Pennsylvania, but we need to be a friend in the church. Um, Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 15, I'm going to run through a lot of scriptures with you today, so Luke 15. So one of the things I wanted to also share with you is, what is a friend? And obviously, you know, there's all kinds of definitions you can give. took the definition out out of the Bible, out of the dictionary. A friend is a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection." Okay? Again, so bond of mutual affection says it goes a lot deeper than just you recognize their face and their name and that's all there is to it. It means there's been a, another level of connection. And so in Luke 15, 11, we read the story of the prodigal, prodigal son and most of you, I mean, you know the story of the prodigal son. He was unhappy with his life, didn't want to live on the farm anymore. And he said, give me my inheritance, dad. I want to go have a good life. So the dad finally relents, gives the, you know, the kid all his, inherit, or his portion of the inheritance, leaves, goes to the big city, and basically wastes all the money, right? Okay. We have to kind of read into things. But if you're, as you're reading that story, it says that he eventually went and wasted all his money. Do you think he had a lot of friends while he had all the money? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, in verse 16, it says, he squandered his estate with loose living. And once he lost everything and was impoverished, and then in verse 16, it says, no one was giving him anything. Yeah. So where did all his friends go? Did he actually have any friends? No. Or was the money his friend? And then Proverbs fourteen twenty, it says, The poor is hated by his neighbor, but the rich have many friends. Yeah. Okay, so the wisdom of Solomon says that if you're wealthy, you have all kinds of friends. But according to what we see in the prodigal son, did he really have any friends? Because when he had all the money, he had all kinds of party people. People that would hang out with him while he was throwing money around. But it says when he got to the point where he was impoverished, no one would give him anything those were not friends you know and that's how we you know need to look at that is we need to be the type of people that no matter what's going on in someone's lives if we're truly friends with them we will stand with them we'll go into the pig pen with them like the prodigals ended up being in the pig pen so and also think about the book of Job uh, like there's what 42 chapters in the book of Job one-third of the chapters of Job are his friends coming to comfort him. okay. And if you've read the book of Job, and some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about, his friends weren't the best friends I would have around. You know, they called him a fool. They call, told him that God was punishing him and it must be justly. And so their theology, well, I mean, we can look back on it from a point of we know why Job was tested. Because God said, this is the man of righteousness. And he allowed him to be tempted to prove to Satan, that what God says is true. And so his friends don't have the benefit of what we have of knowing what scripture says, but his friends came and comforted him and buffeted him, beat the guy up. And so again, those are two examples, the prodigal son's friends and Job's friends that are good examples of what it means to not be a friend. Okay? Um, being a friend means so much more than just knowing each other's name, like I said before. It means that you know the struggles and sins of that person, and you still choose to walk it out with them. Um, just a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 17:17: 17, 17, "A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity." Proverbs 18:24: "A man that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother." So scriptures filled with references to friends tells us what we need to do to be a friend. And, you know, as we're looking around here at the congregation, how many of you have a best friend? Okay. Okay. How many of you are married? Let's go back to there. How many of you are married? So now the question is, who is your best friend? Okay. Thank you, Brad and Ann. Okay. My best friend is sitting back over there. And wave your hand. Okay. That's my best friend. Okay. She should be my best friend. Okay. As married couples, your best friend should be your spouse. They should be the one that knows every single thing there is to know about you, or as much as they possibly can. Um, funny story, my wife just found out, what was that a year ago, that I like sweet pickles. We've been married 31 years. We were going through Wegmans, and I pull a jar of sweet pickles off the shelf and put it in the cart. And she's like, she, actually, she took them and put it back on the shelf, because she said, those aren't dill pickles. I said, I know. <laughs> 31 years of being married, and she did not know I like sweet pickles, because it just never really came up. And so she learned something about me. So, But she knows the sins I've committed. She knows the weaknesses that I have. She knows my issues. And I've hurt her with a lot of those, and she's still staying with me, because she chooses to be my best friend. And so again, married couples, the one that you put this ring on with, needs to be your best friend. It's the one that knows everything about you or the, they know the most about you and they're still willing to stick with you. And so as we become friends, as we become best friends with that one person, that's where we need to go with. It has to be about standing with that person, it's about being there no matter what's going on. You know, the marriage covenant, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, all the things that the common one says. Those are the realities of how we need to stand with our best friend. But then we also need to have other layers of friends, other levels of friends. You know, guys, we need to have good guy friends. Girls, you need to have good girl friends. You know, we have to have that level, that camaraderie where we're surrounding each other for strength. You know, one of the scriptures in the Proverbs says that as iron sharpens iron, you know, men, we need each other. You know, I have to have relationships with other men that's going to build me up and to be a better man of God. Amen. Okay? Women, you need the same thing. You need women in your life that's going to build you up to be a better woman of God. And so, you. thank you. Um, so yeah, Ann and I've been married for 31 years, been together 33 years with dating and being engaged, five children. Thank you. <laughs> two sons and or yeah, two grandchildren and one more on the way. And so, we've been through a lot over the years. You know, We've learned a lot about each other. The day that we got married, we didn't know each other. Okay, I mean, can I be honest? You know, we knew at that point when we got married, we had known each other for three years. Okay, after 31 years, we know each other. Okay, things have changed. And again, the point I want to make with that is she's still sticking with me. And so you persevere, you say that there's nothing that's going to come between us and we're gonna make it work. So that's what being a friend is. Um, being a friend and having friends requires efforts. You know, we have to celebrate with each other. We can mourn with each other. And friends don't abandon each other when the going gets tough. You know, we, you'll stick it out, you'll, you'll go through the pig pen, you'll go through the, you know, the rough times because that's what you need to do. Um, this next statement I want everybody to pay close attention to. And what that statement is, if all your friends think you are perfect and you have no sins, weaknesses, or issues, they really are not your friends. Because what it takes to be a friend to somebody is you have to trust them to open yourself up to them. Okay? So if someone says that they're your friend and they think you're perfect, that you have no issues in your life. You've never opened yourself up to them. Are they truly your friend? I'm gonna say no. They may be an acquaintance, but we need to have more than just acquaintances. We have to have some people that are willing to speak truth into our lives. Um, I was talking to you know, one of my friends about this message that I was bringing, and I said, a friend is somebody that's willing to tell you if you've got broccoli stuck in your teeth, okay? And this friend of mine said, well, if your fly's down, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay? But that's what a friend will do, is that they, you know, that they will do what needs to be done to help you out, you know, to keep you from embarrassing yourself. So that's what friends will do, is they will walk with you. They'll stand with you on things that sometimes aren't comfortable. And so we need to do that. Um, one of the, you know, the song that the worship team played, um, it talked about Jesus knowing all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, and what does he do? Still calls us a friend. Okay? I mean, that's so simple. Because we all know why Jesus came to the earth, right? He came to walk out in life as a man so that he could die on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Okay? That's his reason for coming. That's why he gave up the perfect unity he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit left heaven, left the companionship, the friendship that he had because he wanted to bring us into the family. Okay, bottom line of it right there. So even though he knew all the stupid things we will do, he still said you're worth it. I will walk through it with you. I will do what I have to do What? Sorry. Jesus said I will do whatever I have to do to get you into the kingdom of God. And so he walked that out. So is being a friend easy? No. Okay, We've already covered that a little bit. It requires effort. It requires some effort, some work on your part. So in being Jesus' friend, actually go ahead and turn to John chapter 15 if you would. John chapter 15, verse 13, it tells us exactly how good a friend Jesus is. And in verse 13 it says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend, or for his friends. So again, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate level of friendship is I will die for you. And that's how much of a friend Jesus was. I mean, we have examples, especially you know, you look at, if you read military history, you, know, you hear stories of that. Is you hear stories <coughs> of men that literally lay down their life for others. You know that they had a you know they threw themselves on a grenade to take the you know the concussion of it the explosion to save their you know platoon mates or whatever it happens to be. So we see those levels of sacrifice that others have you know committed. But again the ultimate sacrifice is what we see there in verse 13 with Jesus that he gave his life for his friends and that's who we are. This is the crux of my message right here though. <clears throat> If you read in verse 14, and I'm only going to read the very first part of it, "You are my friends," that's what Jesus said. So, in the red letter edition, right? Je- Jesus said, "You are my friends." S- sounds pretty good, right? And there's a, you know, little conjunction right there, a contingency. What's that? What is that next word? Jesus said, "You are my friends if." And so as we read on what the if is, is there's a contingency to you being Jesus' friend. And we read on in that verse, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So Jesus is telling us we have to be in action. We can't just go through the motions and think that we know Jesus' name and we're good. It says that for Jesus to say that you are his friend, you have to obey his commandments. Okay? It's not just a simple thing that you know, Jesus says, I'm your friend, I died for you. He did, it's a free gift. But to be his friend, to be his ambassador, you have to act like he did. Jesus' life was all of action. You know, he didn't just come to this, wor- you know, this world and walk it out and not do anything. Obviously we've got you know, a whole Bible filled with the things that he did. And we're told to follow him, to do the things that he did. And so if you're saying that Jesus is your friend, but you're not doing his commandments, are you really his friend? So that's the thing I want you to search you know, within yourself even as we go through this message and even through the rest of the day is how are you going to become a better friend of Jesus? And you know, in saying that, if <coughs> Jesus said, you are my friends if you do my commandments, What are some of Jesus' commandments? Love one another. another. Okay, takes action, right? What other? Forgive. Forgive. All good ones. Abide in me. I mean, everything that Jesus tells us about, there's things that we have to do. We have a part in this whole equation it's not just Jesus doing everything, Jesus did all he could do. He did everything that he needed to do and now he's asking us to pick up the ball and get moving with it. Um, some of the commands that I wrote down that I wanted to just bring into the discussion a little bit is John chapter 8 verse 11. This is where the woman has been brought to Jesus that had been committing adultery and again there's so much that can be taught out of that because where was the guy? Okay? It was a setup. You know, it says that they came to test him. So the guy that was committing adultery, he's, who knows where he went to. But the woman was brought to Jesus to test him and to bring him into fault. And when it all comes down, you know, everybody that was accusing her has left, and it's just Jesus and the woman there. And when all is said and done, what does Jesus tell her? Okay. Go, action, and sin no more. Sounds like a pretty hefty command, doesn't it? Can we live a sinless life? Okay. If we read that verse for what it means, go and sin no more, he was telling her, don't sin anymore. And so if Jesus said it, do we have to believe that it can be done? Okay. You have to have a fully committed, you know, life to Christ to be able to get to that point, but he said it. So one of our actions, one of the things we have to do to be his friend, is we have to stop sinning. We have to go and sin no more. Matthew 28, verse 19. This is a very familiar one. Um, It says, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, Jesus keeps reminding us that he's commanded us to do many things. And this is one that most people are familiar with, is to go and teach all nations, to make disciples. And so that, again, requires action, doesn't it? It means you have to get invested in someone's life to be able to teach them all the things that Jesus commanded. It's not just, you know, go and, you know, give them a Bible and say, well, hope you can figure this out. It's about going and investing in people's lives by spending time with them, by, you know, you know giving up even some of your own life so that they can understand what the kingdom of God is and their part in it. John 21 verse 6 Jesus said to them cast your net on the right side of the ship and when Jesus tells you to do something different than what you're used to doing it requires an act of obedience because the story there is the disciples who many of them were professional fishermen were out on the lake fishing cast their net on the same side of the boat because of the way the nets are set up and that it was always probably in the same direction hadn't caught anything Jesus, the you know, um, not the professional fisherman, tells them, "Cast your net on the other side." Okay, so you got professional fishermen being told by this carpenter guy. Didn't go telling them how to fish. Okay, they I think reluctantly obeyed, drew their nets in, rearranged them, whatever, threw them on the other side, and we all know what happened, right? They caught such a great amount of fish that it was breaking their nets, and they cried for their, you know, fellow fishermen to come help them because we're going to sink the boat here. So when you do what Jesus tells you, it may require you to say, "I may not know everything. I may be a good fisherman, but if Jesus tells me to do it, I better do it." And what they did was they saw such a harvest that it was beyond what they imagined it could have been. So in Matthew. Chapter 19, verse 21, this is an example of someone who is not willing to follow the if command. You are my friends if you follow my commandments. And this is the story of the rich young ruler. And he had come to Jesus saying, you know, I, how do I, you know, become perfect? How, you know, what more do I need to do? And he said, you need to follow the commandments. And so he told him, you know, you, you know, the 10 commandments that we're all familiar with, he rattled them off in the, you know, rich young ruler had done all those. Jesus said, well, then you only lack one thing. And what is that? Go. There's that word again, an action word. Go and sell all that you have. And unfortunately, what did the rich young ruler do? He walked away because his possessions had a hold on him. And he wasn't willing to lay them down to become the friend of Jesus. And so that's an example when um, Jesus gives you a commandment. You know, we do, We know what would have happened if the young ruler, you know, rich young ruler, had done what Jesus said. He would have had a glorious life. You know, you know, at some point, Jesus may have enabled him to recoup everything that he gave away. You know, look at Job. Going back to Job, Job lost everything, and it said at the end of Job's life, he actually had more than he had at the beginning of it when he lost everything. So when you do what Jesus tells you to do. Things happen in your life that are more of a blessing than what you let go of. So don't hold on to things because you think that they're what you need because that's, you know, it's an idol. If something in your life is something you refuse to let go of, it's an idol, and Jesus said, idolatry is not good. That's a simple way of putting it, but one of the commandments is, you know, you will have no other gods before me, and that's what an idol is. And then Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 27. I'm not going to read all of that. But <clears throat> this is what Jesus said when people came to him and said, Lord, we've you know, cast out demons. You know, we've done miracles. We've done healings in your name. But in verse 23, it, said, it says, Jesus told them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Okay. Nobody in here wants to be that person that Jesus says that to, do you? So they knew Jesus' name. And the power of Jesus' name is it's there. I mean, Jesus' name, you can cast out demons. You can heal the sick. But because Jesus, what he said there, is they didn't really know him. They weren't his friends. Because he said, depart from me, because I never knew you. Do you say that to a friend? Someone that is truly your friend, a deep-rooted friend, you don't say, I never knew you. And so we want to be very aware of that, that people that, excuse me, that you want to be Jesus' friend, it requires these actions. It requires you to, you know, take part in being the friend. Um, It's a two-way street. You know, Ann and I's relationship is if she did all the talking over these last 31 years, I'd know her pretty good. You know, she has to drag it out of me sometimes, but she has learned, you know, I I do talk occasionally. And... (laughs) But that's how she's learned about me is because she's asked me questions. I've shared parts of my life. You know, Jesus wants you to share your life with him. You know, that's what prayer is. That's you sharing your life with God so that he you know, I mean, it seems like a silly statement in a way. God already knows everything there is to know about us. But he wants us to be willing to confess with our mouths the things that we need, the things that are, you know, burdening us. And so we have to take part. It's, it's got to be that two-way street that we're sharing with God the things that are on our heart. And so again, if you truly want to be Jesus' friends, you know that he loves you completely, he died for you, we have to know what his commandments are. And you know, as you, I just covered a few of them, there's so many more, but he wants us to be a part of his life. He wants us to be part of his kingdom. And that requires us again to take action. So again, 2021, that's why I'm encouraging, you know, pushing every one of us, we need to make this a year of action to do things differently than we've ever done them before, because if you keep doing things the same way you've always done them and expect different results, what is that? Insanity. <laughs> Insanity. It doesn't get you very far. It's actually going to, you know, drive you crazy. And so, again, my, one of my many encouragements to the classes that we lead is that when you're doing a class, when you're doing something to build up your life, is if you can look back on your life one year from now and you haven't changed, that's not good. We should constantly be growing. We should constantly be changing. And that, again, requires action. It requires an effort and motivation on our, <clears throat> on our behalf. Um, so does that make sense to everybody? Okay. That if we are to be Jesus' friends and we're going to be able to have Jesus say at the end that I am pleased with you, we have to obey his commandments. Simple as that. You know, the gospel is very simple. Jesus did everything he could do, and now he's just waiting on us to step up and do our parts. Um, As we close here today, um, what I'm going to ask everybody to do is before you leave, um, actually if the elders, if you guys would come on up here, um, if you have any questions about the things that are happening in the church, the changes that are going on, the elders are the guys that you need to ask what's going on. Um, but as you do, if you have questions, obviously come up and you know, ask them the questions. But what we want you to do, what I want everybody in here to do right now, before you leave this sanctuary, those of you in the cafe, maybe a little less, is I want you to find somebody in here you do not know and go introduce yourself to that person and start building a friendship by saying, hi, I'm Rich, you know, Michael, nice to meet you. I want everybody to do that, is to find somebody in here you do not know, and usually what it's going to be is all you people over here, you might actually have to go over there, because you know everybody in that section, but, so I would like you to do that as we close today. So let's close in prayer. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your love for us that is just all, all-encompassing. That even though you know our flaws, even though you know the things that we have done to sin against you, you still, you still meet us where we're at. You still offer your forgiveness and you offer your mercy and your grace. And that we will not take it for granted, Lord. That we will step into the things that you want us to do. That you have a destiny for each one of us. You have a plan and a purpose for each one of us in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is not healthy until all the parts are doing what they are created to do. So, Lord, I just encourage and I ask you to bring that word to each one of us that we will hear the plans and the purpose that you have for us each individually as families and as a corporate body of Praise Fellowship. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and give you all the glory. Amen. So, So, somebody make the first move and go introduce yourself to somebody and have a great day.